I'm not sure how you feel, but I almost feel that we could have the benediction and go home because we have worshiped the Lord. But for the next few minutes, I want to talk with you about the incarnation of Jesus Christ. And if you'll open your Bibles to the book of Genesis, chapter 3, we're going to look at verse 15. Now, these words were spoken to Eve and to the serpent in the garden. Listen to what it says. <clears throat> and I will put enmity between thee and the woman, and between thy seed and her seed. It shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. The incarnation of Jesus Christ is one of the cardinal doctrines of the Christian faith. It is the foundation upon which we build Christianity. The word incarnation comes from a Latin word which simply means enfleshment. And so when we say incarnation, we are talking about the enfleshment of God in the person of Jesus Christ. The key to understanding the incarnation is found hanging on the front door of the Bible. You'll find it in Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. When God said, in the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. When God had created the earth, he planted a garden in the midst of the earth, and he called it Eden. The planet of uh, uh, the Garden of Eden was furnished with every kind of fruit tree, that any person could ever want. Every kind of bush bearing luscious berries. There was also planted in the midst of the garden two trees, one of them the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, the other one the tree of life. And God formed man out of the dust of the earth, and then he took a rib from the side of Adam and he made Eve. He placed them in this perfect environment, in the middle of the garden, and he said to them, I want you not only to tend the garden, but to multiply and replenish the earth with people just like you. And then he placed one restriction on them. He said, now there are two trees in the middle of the garden, the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. He said, don't eat of that, because if you do, you're going to die. And then to top it all off, God himself came in the coolness of the day and walked with Adam and Eve, a perfect paradise, a perfect environment. What more could any person ever want than that? And then God had to do something that was very unusual. There are three things about the incarnation that I want to share with you. There is the promise of the incarnation, and there is the prophecies of the incarnation and then the purpose of the incarnation. Keep those three things in your mind. We come first of all to the promise of the incarnation. There are two words that stand out. Now remember that God had planted this garden with all kinds of good trees and he had created animals. They were tame at that time. Uh, and you could enjoy the environment as nobody else was ever able to enjoy. But then something happened. 
Uh, one day when Adam and Eve were separated one from another, Adam probably tending something, and Eve was standing near the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. She may have been in the shade of the tree. And all of a sudden, a serpent comes walking up. Now remember that the serpent was upright until after the curse. And God placed a curse upon the serpent because of what he did. And he said, you are cursed above all the animals of the garden and you'll crawl upon your belly as long as you live and you'll eat dust. But before that, he was upright. I can imagine it happened kind of like this. Eve is standing under the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And the serpent comes walking up and he said to a nice day, isn't it Eve? And she said, it sure is. He said, you know, Eve, I've been curious about something. I thought about it a lot. Did God say that you could eat of all of the trees of the garden? She said, all except one, this one right here. He said, don't eat of this one because if you do, you're going to die. The serpent chuckled. He said, you surely will not die. He said, Eve, I want you to know that God's holding out on you. Uh, God knows that if you eat of the fruit of this particular tree, you'll be as wise as he is. Why don't you try it? Just take one and eat it. And Eve turned and looked up into the tree. And the Bible said that she saw that the tree, the fruit of it, was pleasant to the eye. And that it was also a desirable fruit for one to eat. And it would also make one wise. She looked again. And Satan is standing there waiting to see what she's going to do. Remember that there were three times in the Bible when uh, Satan became embodied in a human flesh or in a person. One of them was the serpent. The other one will be Judas who betrayed the Lord. The next one will be the Antichrist, which is to come in later time. So now it is really Satan that is tempting Eve, not just the serpent that's doing it. Satan is there. Now then, why does Satan want to uh, get back to Adam and Eve? What, is, what does he have against them? Well, I think it was jealousy. If you remember, uh, the Bible says in the book of Psalms, chapter 8, verse 5 and 6, he said, you have made man a little lower than the heavenly being, and you have made him ruler over the works of your hand. If you remember back, you will recall that when God created uh, Lucifer, he was one of the anointed cherubs, one of the guards of God standing next to God, but he rebelled. And he led a third of the angels to rebel against God. And as a result of his rebellion, God had to cast him out of heaven and cast him down to the earth, and he's hated God ever since. And then when God created man just a little lower than the angels, and yet made him ruler over all the things of the earth, Satan wanted to be the ruler, but God made man the ruler. And so he is jealous of Adam, he's jealous of his position, and so he's trying to get back at God through the man that he has created. In Ezekiel chapter 28 and verse 15, Ezekiel said, you were in the Garden of Eden. So we know that he's talking about Satan. And uh, when the uh, serpent uh, got Eve to do what was wrong, 
Uh, Eve then is going to begin to bring into the world a curse. But remember this. The Bible said by one man, Adam sinned into the world. Uh, Eve looked at the fruit. Yes, she partook of it. But Eve was deceived. Adam was not. He walked into it with his eyes wide open. And God now has to do something because all of a sudden, Adam and Eve, who before this time were naked but did not show any shame, have all of a sudden realized their guilt and realized their shame before holy God. And so they hid themselves in the trees, among the trees, when God came to walk in the garden in the coolness of the day. So there are two words that stand out in this first part, and that is the uh, word serpent, and then the word seed, S-W-E-D. Now, when Adam and Eve sinned, God placed a curse upon uh, the serpent, which is Satan, and uh, then he made a promise of what he was going to do. He said to the serpent, I'm going to put enmity between you and the woman, between your seed and her seed. You are going to bruise his heel and he's going to crush your head. This is the first promise of the incarnation. God is going to send a Messiah to the earth. Now the scripture goes on to say that the Messiah would be the seed of Abraham and the seed of David, but also the seed of the woman. It is the first time that God tells us about the virgin birth of the Lord Jesus Christ. And to David, God said in the Old Testament, I will set up thy seed among thee. Paul wrote that Jesus was the son of David according to the flesh. And so Jesus then would come as the seed of Abraham, the seed of David, and the seed of the woman. But now there's a problem there uh, because the woman has no seed. So how is this going to happen? It's a biological problem. And yet the promise of God is that the seed of woman would crush the head of Satan one day. And so God began his work in the Old Testament to bring the royal line of David. From that royal line, he would bring the Lord Jesus Christ, the Messiah, do it in the incarnation. And the devil began to fight as hard as he could to destroy all of the seed of David. Let me give you just one example. You'll find it in 2 Kings in chapter 11. Uh, Satan almost succeeded. Now the promise of the Messiah must come through the seed of David. But there was a king of Judah by the name of Jehoram. And he married an evil, wicked woman by the name of Athaliah. She was the daughter of uh, Ahab and Jezebel. And when Jehoram died, their son, Azariah, uh, became the king of Judah. But he was killed in battle. And when he was killed in battle, Athaliah, uh, his mother, seized the throne and immediately set out to destroy all of the heirs of David, her grandchildren. However, there was one little woman that took little Joash and hid him in the temple and told the high priest who he was. He was the seed of David, the only surviving one. 
And then one day when little Joash was seven years old, uh, the high priest gathered all the government officials together and said to them, this is the rightful heir of the throne. And so they crowned Joash when he was aged seven years old to become the king. Athaliah cried treason, treason, but she was put to death. Do you realize how close the devil came to destroying the seed and the Messiah could not have come? Only one little baby boy at the time. Satan has always hated God and he will hate him until the end of time. So Satan then has tried to destroy the seed. He tried it numerous times, but God somehow kept the Messiah safe. Now quickly, I want you to look at some of the prophecies of the Old Testament having to do with the incarnation. Some of the prophecies in the Old Testament we call general. Others are specific. But every last one of them must be fulfilled in the life of Jesus or else he was not the Messiah. And up until this point, every single one of them has been fulfilled. Go back to the book of Genesis, chapter 49 and verse 10. And Jacob said, The scepter shall not depart from Judah until Shiloh comes. What in the world does he mean? What is he saying? Well, he's simply saying that the emblem of imperial power will not leave until the chief ruler comes. He's talking about the coming of the Messiah. Then you come to Isaiah chapter 7 and verse 14. The Lord himself will give you a sign. A virgin shall be with child and give birth to a son, and you shall call his name Emmanuel. You move to the book of Daniel in chapter 9, verses 25 and 26, and Daniel talks about the coming of the Messiah, which would be 483 years after the building of the wall of Jerusalem. Then he also says Messiah shall be cut off, and that refers, of course, to the crucifixion of the Lord Jesus. And then you move to the book of Malachi, the last book of the Old Testament, and he said, the Lord shall suddenly come in his temple. The Lord must come before 70 AD when the temple was destroyed. And then 2 Peter tells us that all scripture is inspired by God and thus every one of them will be fulfilled. Those are the general prophecies concerning the incarnation. What about the specific promises? Well, the specific promises uh, deal with two things, deals with time of his birth and deals with the place of his birth. Two things are very specific. They're pointed, they're pointed out carefully. The life of Jesus Christ was pre-written and nothing short of divine power could bring it about. In the book of Jeremiah, chapter 17 and verse 12, it said, I watch over my word to perform it. In the book of Nehemiah, chapter 23, verse 19, said, Does God speak and then not act? Does he promise and then not fulfill? And the answer, of course, is no. And so we need to come to the place of the birth of the Messiah. Well, the book of Micah, chapter 5, says that he shall be born in the city of Bethlehem. And then the time of his birth, Paul said, comes in the fullness of time. There are two very important things here. Uh, God is getting ready to send his son Jesus, and he looks for a girl, a woman, 
and he finds a virgin in the, in the city of Nazareth. And the Bible said, he sent Gabriel to speak to her and said to her, you are highly favored among women. God has chosen you to give birth to a son and you'll call his name Emmanuel. But wait a minute, she's living in Nazareth and Jesus cannot be born in Nazareth. He must be born in Bethlehem. Now, Mary, as you know, is engaged to a man by the name of Joseph. They have not yet come together as husband and wife, though they are spoken of as husband and wife. But somehow, God has to get this girl, Mary, to Bethlehem. And so he moves the whole Roman Empire. He moved upon the heart of Augustus Caesar, and Augustus Caesar sent out a proclamation that every person must return to their own ancestral city to register for an upcoming taxation. And so it's almost time for Mary to give birth. Do you realize that Nazareth is 70 miles from Bethany, of Bethlehem? And she's got to make that long journey, but she and Joseph make it by walking or riding on a donkey. And when they arrive in the city of Bethlehem, on that very night she gives birth to a son and wraps him in swaddling clothes and lays him in a manger. And so the place of the birth has been fulfilled. But what about the time of his birth? Well, the Bible declares that when the fullness of time was come, and Paul tells us that in Galatians 4, 4, not a day early, not a day late. God's always on time. You never have to worry about him being late. And unless every prophecy about Jesus is fulfilled, then he is not the Messiah. Well, you say, well, what about in the book of Hosea, chapter 11, verse 1, when the Bible said, out of Egypt I call my son. Well, you remember that Joseph and, Egypt, Joseph and Mary were told to flee to Egypt and God called them out of Egypt. Matthew chapter 2 and verse 23 said, he shall be called a Nazarene. Well, after he was born, they moved to Nazareth and that's where Jesus grew up. But now come thirdly and quickly to the purpose of the incarnation. We've seen the promise, God fulfilled the promise. Every prophecy has been fulfilled. But what about the purpose of Jesus coming? You and I are born to live. Jesus was born to die. He came to give his life as a ransom. In the book of Romans chapter 8 and verse 3, Paul said that he came in the likeness of sinful men in order to be a sacrifice. Jesus came that he might die for you and for me. He came that he might take upon himself your sins and my sins. He said, I give my life freely. I give my back to the smiters and I lay down my life for the sheep. I lay it down. Nobody takes it away from me. I'll take it up again. Why did he die? He died to make an atonement. The word atonement means a covering, an a covering for my sin. He died for me as a ransom, therefore to buy me back from sin. The scripture said the wages of sin is death, but Jesus committed no sin, so why did he die? He died for you and he died for me. Yes, you and I were there 
I took a hammer and nailed one of the nails into his hand, and you took a hammer and nailed one of the nails in his other hand. We were there when they crucified my Lord. But when he was nailed on that cross, he endured our hell. He endured our separation from the Father. And when he was finished, he said, it is finished. The debt has been paid. And when the debt was paid, it was a cry of victory. Now you and I can be set free. The death of Jesus, though, was a vicarious and a victorious death. I want you to notice how it ended. Go with me to Calvary. Think about it for a moment. Satan is looking on. He sees the Lord Jesus bow his head and give up his spirit. And he jumps up and shouts for joy. I've done it. I've got him. I've killed him. But his joy is short-lived. Because three days later, God raised him from the dead. I like what uh, Robert Lowry uh, wrote when he wrote the song, Low in the Grave He Lay. It said, death could not keep its prey. He tore the bars away. He rose a victor over the dark domain. He lives forever with his saints to reign. Hallelujah, Christ is alive. He's living today. The promise of God that he would come for the sins of man has been completely fulfilled. And now you and I must do something with him. What are you going to do? You can either accept him or you can reject him, but you must do something with him. He's speaking to your heart right now, and you must make a decision as to what you're going to do, and I pray that you'll make the right decision. Let's bow our heads in prayer. Heavenly Father, we have looked at the incarnation briefly. We thank you for the coming of the Lord Jesus to die for our sins. And now you've offered us freely the gift of salvation. Let no one turn it down, Lord, but let everyone who does not know you come to know you as Savior. And for it, we'll praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.